This is episode 119 of Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Today's guest is Calgary Bureau reporter for TSN, Solom Volgi. Solom and I talked about his life watching sports in Alberta, growing up in Edmonton, covering it in Calgary, and about insight on his path through the industry of sports journalism. Sit back and enjoy today's episode. First, a word from our sponsor. If you're like most people, you strive to eat healthy as much as you can, but it gets really difficult when life gets in the way. We get busy, we're running around doing lots of things, it's hard. Being able to eat healthy on the go is super important more than ever now. And that's why I'm here to tell you about G2G Protein Bars. They're the best protein bar for eating healthy on the go. It's made with all natural ingredients, they're fresh, it tastes like homemade, but it's even better. G2G Bars have 18 grams of protein and are gluten free. With eight different flavors, there's so many different things that you can enjoy about the great tastes of G2G bars and what they have to offer. They're fresh, healthy, and delicious. Make sure to get yours at g2gbar.ca or at your local retailer in Canada or the U.S. Welcome to Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Sit back and enjoy stories and insight from sports icons from all over. Welcome to Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Today's guest is Calgary Bureau reporter for TSN, Solemn Volgi. Solemn, it's great to get to chat with you. I know that there's been a lot going on in the news recently in the world of hockey, especially with the Stanley Cup playoffs happening. And I'm sure it's been a very busy time for you during the very, very last bits of the hockey season at TSN. And I can only imagine how hectic the days are, are still continuing to become at this time of the year. Yeah, thanks a lot. It's awesome to do these sorts of shows with students and younger people in the field. And yeah, more than happy to make some time and, and chat for a little bit. So I wanted to ask, what does your average day look like right now around this time of year during these sports seasons and just usually in, around this time of June in general? Yeah, it's it's a little bit quieter Matias uh it's a little bit you you can sleep in a little bit more because the flames are are out of it so I still go to Calgary Stampeders practices every day and their media availabilities but those are less frequent than during when the flames are playing during the season so uh average day during the during the spring and summer I, I wake up and then touch base with producers asking what they what they feel their day is shaping up as and if they want me on sports center or uh how they how their day is going uh and then and then once you get a game plan of hey we want you to talk about Bo Levi's health or something to do with the defense or you know you go back and forth on story ideas and then when when I'm on sports center then you you know you wear your suit and then you go to the stadium uh, and then if I am not going to be on camera, then it's a little more casual. I can just wear, wear, you know, casual clothes to the, to the practice. And then practices are usually at about 10 30 to, to noon. So, um, you, you go there and you chat with the media relations people for the stampeders and the other journalists, and you're just watching and comparing observations. This is just my second season really covering the CFL. So I'm, starting to understand more of how the league functions and 
and how how things like the the Canadian ratio work and how how just the Canadian football has evolved since I was a, a fan as a kid. So it's a lot of learning and, and observing for me right now. And then, you know, practice ends and then players come off the field and you can chat with them, whether there's a formal interview or not. And then after that, it's if there's a sports center hit, then my camera guy and I will we'll talk about where to shoot it, whether we want it to be on the field or perhaps somewhere overlooking the city of Calgary or with the stadium in the background. And then we, you know, I write a script, send it to the producers to get approval. This is after we've done the formal interviews. So you write your script and then the producers have final say on it. And usually it's a pretty quick edit and then we shoot and then that's it. And then I write one or two stories for tsn.ca about the Stampeders every week, whether they're more game focused or human interest stories. And yeah, it's uh game days during during the NHL season are you're probably working 14 to 16 hours, whereas the CFL it's a little more relaxed. So it's it's just different time management. And now during the off season of the Flames, which is the season of the Stampeders, you just get to exhale a little more. So that's that's how my days are right now. So I know that you're originally from Edmonton and then you went to school at Concordia in Montreal and now I've made your way back to Alberta, but just a few hours south of the city of champions. What has the experience been like covering the CFL in Calgary? And did you follow the CFL when you grew up as a kid and, or also when you lived in Montreal? Yeah, uh, I did as a kid. I grew up uh, watching people like Elon Green and Mike Pringle. Uh, I think Sean Fleming was the kicker for the Oilers for a long time, and Singor Mobley was a fixture on the defense. And uh, who else was there? Um, like Terry Vaughn and Ed Hervey as the like slot receivers. So it was it was fun. I went to games a, a few times as a kid, and uh, it was it was awesome to 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 follow the team a little bit and i think when i was 13 i i got to be in their locker room for like a journal junior journalist type thing so that was really cool danny machocha was the head coach at the time and uh so that was my experience with the cfl and then living in montreal i lived really close to stad percival molson so it was a it was a block away from me initially so i would hear the like the flyover and I would hear the crowd noise from my apartment. And uh, so that was really cool. And I got to know the Alouettes organization a little bit because I worked at McGill university and McGill shares the facilities with the Alouettes. Uh, And yeah, like I, I'd lost a little bit of familiarity with, with the CFL in terms of players and, and how, you know, the finer points of the league. So I spent uh, a little bit of time this, this spring re-familiarizing myself with all of that. Uh, and the CFL is really different. It's, it's, you know, a lot of the athletes just come from really different backgrounds and they're a lot of fun to get to know as people. They're, they're different than hockey players. So, um, like a few of them live not far from me, a couple live in the, in the building I live in. So you get to know them a little more personally in the elevator or things like that. So it's been really cool and fun from that standpoint. And then, and then just, re re understanding i think every city has a different relationship with each team that is here so stampeders fans are are different than elks fans are different than los fans and it's understanding 
you know, who are the folk heroes or who are the, the, the non quarterbacks that, that fans gravitate to in Calgary. And you, you see that with like the types of jerseys that people wear, like Nick Lewis was a receiver here for a long time and his jersey is really popular still. And like Jermaine Copeland. So you, you, you try to pick up on things of that nature and uh, rituals that fans have and things like that. So it's, it's a constant learning process when you come in from a different market and I didn't grow up in Calgary, so I didn't really know who those people were here. And then beyond that, uh, just getting to know the players and the staff and building up a trust with the coach. And it's been great so far, but it's my second season. Last season, it was all by Zoom, and we weren't allowed to be in the same room as players. So it's a it's a process that you're learning with, but this season has been a huge leap because we're able to get that much more access and get to uh, know everyone in the organization more than last season. How have your initial impressions of refollowing the CFL changed from being in person compared to doing stuff on Zoom? Uh, I think you just appreciate appreciate everything that goes into an organization, uh, whether it's, you know, understanding practice, watching it from the field level, and you see how hard guys are running on simple passing drills or looking at coaches and how they're going over the finer details of punting with the punter. You just, you see that stuff in a way that you just didn't when you're, we, we were allowed to watch practice on the field level now, whereas last year was, from like the press box. So you just, you pick up on things that you just didn't see, uh, see when you're that far away, as well as the communication. That's a big one. You, you you get to see things such as how's the quarterback react if the receiver makes a drop during practice or how's the defense celebrate when they pick off the quarterback, you know, things, things like that. So you, you understand from field level a lot more than say if, uh, than than before or through zoom and then and then just again the relationships and building that excuse me that that trust and and not camaraderie but communication with the players and you know they see you every day and they you know i've talked with them they're pretty laid back on the sidelines so they're like you're talking about golf courses that you're going to the next day or things like that so it's a lot more casual of a vibe and Ultimately, I think they, they understand what we are supposed to do. We have a job. We are supposed to ask hard-hitting questions if they go off to an 0-2 start or if they if a player you know mishandles the punt on a potential game-changing drive. Like We have to do that, but I think the players appreciate that that's a part of the job. And um, it's crazy how much can change when you're face-to-face with someone compared to talking through Zoom. So it's just things of, of that element that are different. And I think it results in richer coverage and more stories and more eyeballs on the team and more ticket sales and more money. So it's a win-win for everyone involved. I know that the season has only gone through two regular season weeks, plus a little bit of the preseason so far, who would you say from your interactions have been some of the more interesting characters in the San Peters? Uh, it's really on. Um, I, I mean, last year, the only time I would see them was uh, riding the C train to and from games. So I got to know a few of the guys that way, uh, even though we were not allowed to be face to face in the locker room, we would just take the train back. Then we didn't live far from each other. 
Uh, I really like talking with Cody Grace, the punter over here. He's uh, from Australia and just just a fun, cool guy to chat with. Uh, who else? Um, like I ran into Jake Mayer, the quarterback at, at a grocery store a couple of days ago. And, uh, you know, little things of, like that. And um, even the quarterback, Will Levi Mitchell, just, just getting to understand what, what the mindset is of uh, – someone that's very accomplished in their field and is, is constantly working to get better and is the undisputed leader of the team and is probably the best quarterback in franchise history. So I'd say those guys, it's, it's early on. Um, but, but those guys stand out. Derek Wigan is, is fun to chat with. He's a defensive lineman. And a lot of the players in the CFL, they come from different parts of the States or they, they have some really inspirational stories of, you know, how they, they were brought up and, and getting, into the CFL is a really extraordinary feat when you consider how few, how few roster spots there are in pro leagues in North America. So they have tales of perseverance and defying the odds. And um, those guys stand out and, and it's just, you know, it's exciting that it's only week two and we've got a few, a lot more of these weeks ahead and it's just more opportunities to build relationships like that. So I got to ask now, what were your thoughts on the Stampeders' efforts on Saturday night against Hamilton Tiger Cats, it was fun to watch. Uh, it reminds me just a little bit of the Tampa Bay Lightning, where you just you have some organizations that possess a, a championship DNA, and the 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 words about the Lightning is that you know they might be down four nothing with ten minutes to go in the third period, but you know they're the Lightning. You know they can flip a switch. You know that they've done this before and they'll do it again and nothing phases them and seeing the Stampeders rally like that it reminded me a lot of the lightning where there's some organizations that just have that leadership from top down that you can never count them out because they've been there they've done that they've won and they work to they have a really good process and they work to rebuild every every year so Around me, that Bo Levi looks really great. He had a really tough opening stretch there, but uh, you know the the variety of targets too. Like Richie Sandani had a couple of big catches late in the fourth quarter to extend drives, and then you have such depth with uh, Kamar Jordan and Reggie Begleton, and the fact that they didn't really have a run game after their running backs like Kadeem Carey got hurt, and then Peyton Hills, I believe, this is backup. He got injured and. Charlie Power, credit to him for coming back from an Achilles injury, but he's he's not a burner. Like he's just not he's not a quick guy. He's more of a blocking running back. So you you might not be able to use him for those explosive plays that you're looking for. But like good good on them, holy! Like it was an impressive impressive performance by a team that was counted out by a lot of people at the opening half. And uh, good for Bo. You, you see how he's evolved a little bit in the number of targets he has and how spread out things are like you have Reggie Begleton and Kamar Jordan. You could pretty easily ch- chuck the ball to those guys 80 or 90% of the time. And they can make catches in tight double coverage and they can, they can prove worthy of getting 80% of the targets. But again, Sindani getting the ball, Luther Hakunavanu, like he, Mitchell is spreading the ball out and it goes to show that this stamps team is so deep and they're not just uh, relying on a handful of players on offense. So that's fun and exciting and they just have a championship DNA that other teams, I think aspire to attain. 
And it's going to be very exciting this weekend as we're recording right now on Monday, the 20th, that the Elks and Stamps will meet in the regular season for the first time. What are your thoughts on how the Stampeders will be able to handle Edmonton this weekend? I mean, I think on paper, Matisse, it looks like a little one-sided, right? You have Edmonton that's, that got really blown out versus BC in week one and looked better versus Saskatchewan. But I think what might make it closer is just that Calgary is very banged up right now. They've had a couple of injuries in their secondary. Trey Roberson might have a shoulder issue. Um, you know, you have the running back, Kadeem Carey, might not we don't know their status is yet, but he's got something with his ankle. So you, what might ultimately tilt the tide a little bit, I think Calgary's still going to win, but it, it gives Edmonton a little, a little hope when two key contributors, the Stampeders might not be a hundred percent if they play at all. And, and I think it'll be, it'll be a lot of fun. It'll be a great atmosphere at McMahon where you have this nice rivalry and, Calgary, I think, hasn't necessarily gotten the love from pundits this even in the preseason that that you'd think. Like they have a really strong organization from top to bottom, but just really deep as well. So I think it'll be Calgary in a blowout, but but the injury factor means Edmonton might have a little bit of room to wiggle and potentially make it interesting. But I mean, on paper, it just looks like Calgary is the better team and has executed far better than Edmonton has this season. Growing up, what was your favorite sport to follow? Uh, I liked reading a lot of books about just how teams were built and made and stuff. I think hockey growing up for sure, just being in Edmonton and buying tickets and and having having that consume my childhood. But, you know, even as a kid or teenager, I, it's just really interesting to me how, how rosters are built and constructed. So that was always really cool to me, but I, I probably followed hockey more than anything. And uh, growing up, like Louis DeBrusque was on some of the earlier teams I saw and like Mike Greer and Tommy Salo and Rem Murray and, you know, Brian Marchman. So this is late nineties, early two thousands. And uh, it was a lot of fun. It's something that you, you follow a lot and you talk about with your buddies, uh, like as at school and, it was lean times in Edmonton back then. Like the, the team didn't have a big budget and, and it was constantly losing players to bigger markets, but it was still something that, that I think brought people from all stripes together. And that's what sports is. And then as you get older, you get, I got into the NFL as a teenager and uh, tried to follow everything. And you start to think that you, you really want your, your passion about this and um maybe can build a career in sports and in, in media. I've all, I always wanted to be a journalist, but uh, hockey was the big one. And then you, you get older and you, you branch out into different things and you realize that there's a lot more sports out there in addition to hockey. That must've been quite some time following the Oilers during the time that you were a teenager. I mean, it wouldn't have been, too far away from when they went to the Stanley cup final against the Carolina hurricanes. That was one of the most iconic teams that I think the Oilers fans have seen in recent years. And the way in which they got there is still quite memorable, despite the fact they didn't win the Stanley cup. Yeah, uh, it was fun. I think I was in grade nine at the time. So Oh, oh six. Yeah. I would have been in grade nine. So 
it was a once in a generation type of run. We haven't seen that since. Uh, Pisani's overtime goal shorthanded always stands out for me as the big moment. Uh, yeah, that was, that was a really well, well constructed team that got, that found chemistry at the right time. You know, Chris Pronger played a year here in Edmonton and Matthew Pekka as the third line center and Rafi Torres played a big role in that. And it was cool. You know, it, it, it's, uh, it's too bad that the team and organization haven't quite found that formula to be consistent like Tampa Bay or in their early days, Chicago, but it was, it was definitely stands out as a really fun time to be a fan and everyone in the city has the flags and stuff. Edmonton is a really great sports city. It's, it's really underrated in that regard, I think, but it's got a lot to offer in that regard, in that capacity. And, uh, in those days, it was it was an older rank, but there's still people that would gather outside, and it was just it was a it was something you never forget, and it reminds you of the power that sports has to bridge communities and and divides. And um, the Pisani goal was probably the highlight for me, and like that team provided fans with something they haven't seen since then, and it might it might not. Um, hopefully it happens sooner rather than later, but those are, those are runs that happen once in a generation. So you have to savor them and enjoy them for what they are. You mentioned that you knew you wanted to be a journalist from the time that you were young. And now you've been working with TSN just for a few years as the bureau reporter in Calgary. So I got to ask, what was it that made you want to be a journalist? I don't know, Matthias. I think I was just really, really, a good writer growing up and uh I think it was just something I was wired to do early on I, I maybe when I was a kid I was thinking more news and politics and then developed a fan a, a passion for hockey and the Edmonton Oilers and then that made me think okay I could do this about sports and then uh still it's it's a it's a tough field to break into and a tough field to maintain a career in so uh, I was initially in school to become a high school teacher at university because I just didn't know if I would be able to to accomplish my dream and you want to have a backup plan and be safe. And then, you know, you meet people along the way that help guide you and, and shift you in the right direction. And my plan was always to, to give sports journalism an honest thousand percent of my effort until I, the day I turned 30. So that's coming up in August in a few weeks here. So that was always my plan. Even, even through university, that was always the day I was going to have an honest conversation with myself about where to go from here. But, but yeah, just as a kid growing up and then, and then you, you just, you, you evolve as a human being, you meet different people that convince you, Hey, you you live once. So you should go for this if you're really passionate about it. And then, and then, you know, did a year in France and then came back to Montreal, got my degree, got a foot in the door with TSN and a few other places. And then you just work your way up and you, you fail a lot. You learn, you continue building your career and your, your relationships. And then, and then there are certain opportunities where, where the time comes where you have to make your move. And this one in Calgary was one of those and it worked out and it's been a great time so far. A lot of people who are working in this industry know that TSN, as they're known as Canada's sports leader, it would be considered a dream job for many. So 
how do you reflect on the position that you're in at such an incredible young age? And what are some of the challenges that come with being in this position? Yeah, Matthias, I do. I, I, I have six values that I subscribe to and one of them is gratitude. So you, you always are, are mindful of the journey and how hard it was to get here and how it, it, it can go away really quick too. So you, you want to be in the moment and, and appreciate where you are and the process. Uh, it's, it's fun. It's a dream job. It, it requires a lot of hard work, even when you make it. Um, I, I'm going to be doing vocal exercises and tongue exercises right after our interview. And that's because, you know, you constantly want to be making sure your skills are up to date and you're trying to move forward and improve incrementally every day. Uh, so the, the process never stops, even though you, you get these types of jobs. Um, challenges, there are lots. I, I think the big one, your, your, your life does change when you get this type of role. Uh, you're no longer quite as anonymous. People recognize you in the street or in the restaurants or wherever you are. So you have to be really aware of that. Uh, I am the public representative of TSN in Calgary, the only one. So, you know, you're representing a network and you want to be, you want to be doing so with class and with grace and with, with a certain level of professionalism and whether that's at a restaurant or out in the park or, or anywhere, you, you have to be really mindful of that. And it, it does take a little bit of time to get used to that. Uh, in terms of on the job challenges, I think uh, just going from newspapers to television. So understanding how TV works, how to manage your time at a game or a practice and, and make sure you're being efficient. And one of the things they told me, early on is that they knew they they knew I was pretty soft spoken or quiet, but you are sharing the stages with the, the screens, excuse me, with the likes of Lindsay Hamilton and, and Gino Retta and James Duffy and Jay Onright and Sarah Davis. People have been in Canadians lives for a super long time. And I, I, they said like, bring a little bit more energy to your TV stuff. Just so it's, it's then a question of, uh, making sure you're talking naturally, but bringing that extra 10 or 20% energy that'll come across on the screen. So that was something we were working on initially and just trying to evolve with how you do coverage. Right. So uh, I'm trying to tell different stories in different ways now that I've had a year or and two seasons under my belt. So uh, constantly working to build relationships with sources and become trusted in this, in this world of, of reaching out to team executives and agents and things like that. Cause you want to break news. You do want to own your beat to the best of your ability. And I also want to continue reporting on stories of race and culture and stories that go beyond Calgary. So you add all that up. There are challenges. It's a fun situation to be in, but you're constantly working to, to, to climb the rung, the ladder. And in TSN's case for me, it would be doing more live shows. And, and so you're, you're trying to work on your knowledge of the CFL or your, your on-air presentation abilities. So just be, it's, it's a lot of fun, but your, your work never stops in these types of situations. You're just, you're maybe working in a different way, but, but it's a constant, it's a constant effort to improve. 
Uh, and you just have to remain grateful that you are in a position that, like you said, Matias, a lot of people want to be in. And it's something that you, I take really seriously. And if I can help other people get a little closer to achieving that, then that's important to me. And it's, it's good to do. So yeah, you add all that up and, and it's enjoyable, but you're, you're always, always keeping your foot on the gas pedal for trying to get better. One thing that I've heard people say before is, well, when you get a dream job, then what do you do from there? Or it seems a bit underwhelming. Did you feel any sense of underwhelm once you had gotten the position at TSN, knowing that you still have a long way to go in your career? Or how did you handle your perspective on being in this position as you look forward to the future? That's an interesting question, Matias. Uh, I would certainly not say underwhelming. Like This is something that I worked really, really hard for. And frankly, at times I didn't think I was ever going to achieve and was starting to orient my career in a little bit different of a direction. Uh, I wouldn't say underwhelming. I think once you get somewhere, you, I think I'm wired in a certain way where I don't like not having stuff to do. I constantly want to be doing things and I'm lucky that I have a job that I love and don't mind you know, investing time in on my time off to try and get better. So there's a lot of that. Um, it becomes, it becomes just like building a routine. So maybe that's where the underwhelming element comes in where you do something every day and it, it might become, it might become repetitive. Uh, sorry, hold up. Uh, my mom was calling. <laughs> um, no worries. No worries. All good. So uh, it's not underwhelming. It becomes routine and, and maybe the days blend in a little bit, but I think it, it's, it's something that becomes normal. And then you, you uh, are able to build off of that. So it, it maybe loses a little bit of the novelty, but the, the good part is that because you're doing something every day and TSN has all sorts of ways to that, people can get better and evolve. We have broadcasts that are, that we have the, the broadcast rights too. So there's opportunities to work on those. And, you know, so it's, it's not really underwhelming. It becomes a routine. And then from that routine, you just try and get better every day and um, just make sure that again, you're reminding yourself how lucky you are to be in this position, how you earned it. And now it's about, it's about developing in it. You want to have a long future and long career at a place. So it's, uh, it's just, those are, that's my approach. But, um, I can see where people might think, oh, you, you do something every day. So does it get a bit boring to me? Not really, because every day is new. Every day is exciting. There are challenges, there are opportunities to tell different stories. And, uh, in when you're working on a beat and when you're, when you're getting to know teams and organizations, you can do that maybe on a deeper level than, than you would otherwise. So it's, uh, yeah, it's every day is an adventure and it might become a little bit routine, but you, you're definitely grateful to be in the spot you're in and you just try and again, incrementally get better every day. I wanted to ask you about the second language that you speak, because I know that you have done a few hits now on uh, RDS, the French TSN, and you mentioned that you had lived in France for a year. And also I know you'd studied at Concordia. So you're in Montreal, even though it's not necessarily a French speaking school. What was it like doing a hit 
on hockey in French for the first time? It was really cool. It was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, it was an honor too, right? In Montreal, you, you appreciate how big a deal RDS is. And I, I visited their studios when I was a student at Concordia and have a picture with it in the background. It was, it was an honor. You, you feel, you know, those are, those are important shows for, for them and they're live and, and I've worked hard. I worked hard to learn the language and, get comfortable with it. And that takes a lot of practice and, and honestly making yourself look like a little bit of an idiot when you try to speak it in public and, and you have to fall flat on your face a few times. And you know, it, it's a lot of that type of work. And, um, it was, it was a great experience. It was something that, that not many people get to do. And I think you, you know, it's a challenge too, because that broadcast is live. And if you mess up, then it could be career altering potentially, but you, you know, that you, you, you've spoken the language a bunch. And the story was about Marty St. Louis and how he was discovered by um, the, the Calgary Flames scouting staff in the mid nineties. And it was an honor that they trusted me to, to be live. And it worked out really well. It was, it was, it's probably one of the top things I'm most proud of of my time at TSN so far. And it was, it was really cool. It was, you know, you have the crowd around you. It was, you have a producer in your ear, you're speaking in a different language. So you, you have to, you, you have to know how to manage those things, but, but it went really well. And, and, you know, again, it comes down to your process, right? Like I do things every day to prepare and, and you, you, um, you build yourself around certain values and mottos and then they help you not only with your personal life, but in professional situations where, you know, speaking a different language live is it's, it's really challenging and you do get a little bit nervous, but you'll also just get, you know, that you're going to be able to do it because you have a good process and have prepared for it. So that was a lot of fun. And I hope that that stuff continues because um, it's, it's, it's really cool to, be on those programs and, and to have a second language, I think is a tool that people like you or others that are aspiring to, to get opportunities can, that's just something for your toolbox that you never know where, where and when it, it'll come in handy. I've spent the last two years teaching myself Portuguese, the native tongue of my, okay. of my family. And I know that I can appreciate how much mm-hmm. work it takes, especially when you're not in an environment where you're forced to speak it to be mm-hmm. able to speak it in a professional level, especially live on television about hockey and Martin St. Louis, no less for RDS in front of an, uh, a national audience, especially those watching in the province of Quebec. So that's, that's why I wanted to ask you about, because I know that it takes a lot of work. And when you consider the importance of the topic, it's uh, there, there's a lot of weight there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's uh it's just something, you know, you, you invest 10 or 15 minutes a day. I practice French standups a few times a week here too. So you, you just, you know, that, that you, you are able to improve and, and sort of exercise that muscle, even when not speaking it in public every day. And, and yeah, like that stuff, you, you never know what, what opportunities will come up or how, how, you, when you might get a call to do something. And the more tools you have in your, toolbox the better and that's what being a student is all about to me is building that arsenal of of 
tools that you can use in different situations, whether it's networking and relationship building or being bilingual or, or having sources in a particular sport, things of that nature, you, you build that up and opportunities present themselves in, in pretty unexpected ways sometimes, but that's where you can use them. I'd seen a, a picture that had circulated on social media of you being able to watch sports center with a very distinguished guest in your life. You're watching with your grandfather, a hit that you had done on TSN. I want to, yeah. I want you to, to talk about what moments like that means to you in retrospect to the work you've put in and to the importance of your family. Yeah. My grandpa's a great guy. Uh, and I think like, so for me, I, I grew up in a family that has a lot of doctors and scientists and people of that nature. And I had, I had really just average grades growing up. So I think, I think of what I've got 13 cousins, 12 cousins in the family. And so it's, it's big. And I think if my family is being honest, I was probably the one and I'm the second or third oldest too, but I was probably the one they worried about the most because I had a little bit of a rebellious streak and didn't, didn't really get good grades and really go to mosque. So I'm like my parents and others in the family, I, I know we're really worried about my path and where it would take me just cause I, I mean, I, I just wasn't inclined to do things that my other cousins were doing really well. And I think my grandpa probably worried the most. Uh, and, and, you know, taking off for a year to live in France doesn't really inspire a ton of confidence in, in people, but um, it worked out. And uh, yeah, it's important to have people in your life that they maybe didn't quite understand my goals or what I was trying to do, but they were always very supportive you know, in my corner with, okay, just, you know, we are worrying, but you seem like you're very passionate about this. So you're going to let you do that. Uh, and it was fun. Like we, my grandpa's, I think 92 years old, but he's still got a great memory. And we, we talk pretty frequently about different, different things, whether it's stories I did or, um, you know, hockey or things like that. So it's, it's a lot of fun. That was a really cool moment getting to come back to Edmonton for the battle of Alberta and, hang out with him before one of the games. That was really, really neat. And I, I'm, I'm really grateful that he's gotten to see me in these types of roles. And uh, I think he exhaled a lot. He exhaled a lot when I got this job because prior to that, I was, you know, working lots of contracts and freelancing. And I, I just, I, I was doing well, but I didn't, it, it was an unstable life. And he uh, is relieved that it's now a lot more grounded and, and stable and, to share that was really cool. And you get, uh, you, you like to, to think that his time worrying is over and now, now he can focus his attention on other things, but yeah, that was the story. And it's a little bit tricky when you're, when you're doing something that maybe people in your family don't quite get, or you're, you're, you know, a little bit different than the rest of your cousins, but it, it worked out and diversity is great for all sorts of reasons. And, and maybe, maybe it moves the needle forward a little bit where people see what you're doing and think, Hey, I can do that. Or he did things a little bit unconventionally. So maybe I can follow suit, but uh, yeah, it's been great so far. Nice family and getting to share that moment with my grandpa was something that I'll never forget. And uh, hopefully, hopefully there's more to come on that front. I wanted to touch on that a little bit more being surrounded by a diverse community of friends being from Winnipeg and having 
understood the stories of people who have very severe expectations, sometimes not as severe, but within the family, within families that move to Canada or with, within the lives of people who are children of immigrants. You talked about how maybe difficult it was being one of the only of 12 or 13 cousins that wasn't trying to be a doctor or work in science. Did you ever feel alone at times? And how did you deal with that conflict, knowing that you maybe didn't really have a lot of people that understood what you were going through? Yeah, definitely. It's it's just a little bit, uh, you have to figure things out for yourself a little bit. Um, and, and uh, you know, the fact that I didn't really, I wasn't super religious and, and not super religious. And that's a deviation from everyone in my family didn't get good grades. Uh, yeah, you just, I think we all have different formulas that, that work for us. And for me, not, not investing a ton of time in academics or going going to the mosque like that just works for me because you, you, you know, that you're doing other things that are also that are contributing to your well-being, And it's just a little bit tricky to sell that to your older family members sometimes, but, but yeah, I, I was lucky. I had, I had people in my corner that again, that were in the family that didn't quite know what I was doing, but they, they sort of let me do what I, I wanted to do. And then you have mentors as well that, that you can lean on and uh, and and have have honest conversations with, and sometimes those conversations are are unlock certain things in your head that make you think about things from a different perspective and propel you to different places. So it was lonely at times, but it, it also means that you take more responsibility and you're invested in the journey in a little bit different of a way and. Uh, I think, I think you, you just have to, you just have to go about it and, and work hard and, um, have, I was lucky where I had a few really great and important mentors that, that really showed me the ropes and I could be a thousand percent myself with. And, uh, also just having family that, that even if they didn't get it, they were still in my corner and yeah, it takes, it takes a team, I think, to do things. And in my case, it was it was a little bit challenging early on, but ultimately you have great people around you. And that's a big reason that you, you achieve things. You talk about mentors. Who are some of your mentors in your life that helped? Uh, a few. Um, I think on a professional level in, at Concordia, I, I got the, I, I was working with the John Molson sports marketing conference and, through there, I met Ned Coletti, who used to be the general manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers, and he was one of our speakers. And he is a, a phenomenal human being. He he and I hit it off, and he helped me out a lot just as a sounding board and as someone that, that you look at how he treats other people and you think, okay, when I'm in that position, we're, we're going to make sure we're, we treat people the way Ned treated people. Uh, and he, he just gave me good advice at the right times. And, you know, these, this industry at times, like it, it, it can be a, it can be a really, it can, it can, it can do, it can destroy your confidence when you're getting rejected constantly, when 
you feel like it's never going to happen. And I'll, I'll gladly admit that there are all sorts of times where I thought that I was, I was just going to not make it. And on my 30th birthday, I completely choose a different path. And Ned always reassured me that, you know, you work hard, you're doing well. It hasn't come yet, but it will. Uh, and he is someone that I hold in extremely high regard. Um, at TSN, Rick Weston and Matthew Shinetti and Ryan Rashog have been really impactful for me. They, I've tried to build what I do in large part based on how they do things. And, and the journalism they do is really important and how they present themselves and the, the way that they, they represent TSN is something that I've tried to, to implement into how I do things and their feedback on my work and working with Rashog in Edmonton, not only was it the battle of Alberta, but I got to learn firsthand from one of the best people in the country at their job. And that was invaluable seeing how he wrote scripts or he would give me pointers for body language or words to use, or, Hey, I would lead with this. And it was invaluable. Like that, that whole week was crazy for many reasons, but the leadership that I got to witness from him and learning from him is probably the best part about that. Uh, and then you, you take a lot of cues from your peers too. And I have lots of buddies in this industry, like um, Etienne Lejoie and Julian McKenzie are about my age, but like I, I learn a lot from them and we're, we're really good friends and they, they've helped me out a lot in different areas. And then at Concordia, AJ Cordero was a teacher there and he, he took me in and, again, told me some hard truths I needed to hear as a student. And yeah, like you, you try to, you, you remember how people treat you then and you try to do that for other people that need it. And then you, um, you just, you're, you are constantly learning from those people and uh, mentorship is so important and so critical and, and you just try to pay it forward. And now I'm in a position where I get to do that while still learning from those great people. And I certainly and to do that. So you mentioned that Mr. Cordero from Concordia had told you some hard truths What were some of the things that he had told you that you still believe, like believe strongly to this day that woke you up when you were a student. That's a good question, Matthias. Um, I think the big one was that back then so this, I, I graduated in 2017. I started in 2014. So I was 22, I think uh, at the time. And I, I was really confrontational back then. And it like really, I worked hard, but I, I think I had a little bit of an, like a confrontational streak. And he, he told me at one point, like, you can't, if that continues, you're, you're going to burn all your bridges and people won't give you a pass because you're a student. They'll just remember that you were arguing with them or that you were, you were confrontational. So that was a big thing he told me. And then just, um, you know, just, just understanding that, that it was, uh, that being a student means that, you know, you you have classes, but you have to devote a lot of time to extracurricular activities in this type of field. And he would work on me with, with TV demo reels and, and applications and stuff on his downtime and, uh, helping me, you know, film standups as a student and, giving me equipment from the department for extended periods when maybe he wasn't allowed to do that. 
So he would, he would do stuff like that, but a couple of the hard truths were, yeah, like you just, you can't be that confrontational guy and, and just being, you know, I think I was really determined when I got to Concordia and I think, I think it, it was a little adjustment when I assumed everyone else I was going to school with was going to be as determined and as on my level. And the truth of the matter is that very few were, and you can see that by, I think of the kids that started with me in my cohort in 2014, there were 60 of us that started. And I think only four of us work in media right now. So initially I was really frustrated with, with peers and how, how they were maybe not on the same level as me in terms of passion and dedication. But he, he just said like, you you just have to control what you can control and you, you can't focus on other people. You just have to, this is your journey. And, make sure that you don't get distracted by that stuff. And like, who cares if they're not as passionate or hardworking, like you're not going to, that means that you just won't see them when you graduate. Right. So he was really good for that type of stuff. And um, I'm still really tight with him. And uh, it's, 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 again, you, you learn from people how they treat you when you didn't really have anything to offer them. And it's uh, stuff that, you know, you'll, you'll pass on. And um he was, he was a really drive. He was a driving force for me and someone that um, I collaborated on a couple of bigger projects with that I'm really proud of. And, you know, someone that'll be a friend for life. You say confrontational. Now, what I start to think of is the description of Michael Jordan with his teammates in the last dance or Kobe Bryant in the mid two thousands, <laughs> you know, telling guys to get on his level or being really passionate. Like you said, confrontational in what specific way was it whether from asking for things or if or was it about if someone wasn't as passionate as you or working on a team in what way uh i think i made the wrong assumption going into journalism school that everyone who was gonna be in that building was bound and determined to be the best possible journalist they could be. And they were all bound and determined to work for a big network, be it TSN or Sportsnet or uh, CBC or CTV. Like I assumed that we were all in the same boat of we're going to work our tails off and we're aiming for the absolute top. And you, you get to journalism school and, you realize that people are, are in it for different reasons. Some of them look at journalism school as a path to a, a GPA that'll get them into graduate school, whether it's law or a master's degree. Others are, are there because they kind of like writing, but they don't know what their, what their passion is. And journalism sounds a little bit cool. Uh, and, and it was an adjustment in first year, just not, having a ton of peers and you're you're still friends with people. You still go out for drinks and you still, you're still buddies with them, but it was a, it was a shock to, to realize that, okay, you're in the very slim minority of people that are truly all in with this field. It took me about three weeks to, to realize that. And, um, I think it's, it manifested itself in different ways, whether it's during group projects or, you know, at times I would get jealous because I'd see people 
you know, partying on a Friday night, whereas I'm working a journalism job as a student and you think, okay, shouldn't you be doing that? Like, aren't we, aren't we kind of doing this all together? Uh, and yeah, it's a little bit tricky. And I think that's something that doesn't quite get talked about enough is that, um, in journalism school, the, the truth is there's not, I think the minority of people are the ones that really truly want it. And the rest are in it for different reasons and there's nothing wrong with that, but it, it was a little bit of a shock initially. And there were some pretty heated battles in that, in that department I had with, with peers or professors or department heads, but you know, that's what being a student is, right? You learn, you learn that this formula is not going to be successful and that's where people like AJ come in because they very, very bluntly tell you that it's not going to be successful. And you just understand how to, how to manage people or how to deal with people and um, how to, how to manage your own self and the things that you can control. So honestly, it probably was a little bit similar to like Michael Jordan and his teammates a little bit, just with, with like, just, just, you have a certain competitiveness and fire in you and you just hope that other people are, are at that level, but they're not. So you're trying to adjust everything. But um, overall it was, it was a great experience even learning how to, how to be, be in environments where not everyone shares that passion. And I keep in touch with a lot of people and two of my closest friends are people that I had really heated conversations with back then. And, we're, we're really tight today and you know, they'll probably be at my wedding at, at some point, you know, like you, you just, you learn how to, how to navigate those complex situations. And um, it's, it's just a, it's just a learning process. Right. So um, that's what being a student, being a student's great for all sorts of reasons, but one of them is that you get to, to fail and, and learn those hard truths in a really pressure free environment and you get to, you know, there's no professional implications. You're not getting fired over anything. You just, you just have to learn those lessons and you get to apply them the next day and there's no real harm done. So. Did you ever get a chance to watch the, this is sports center clips with Stuart Scott trying to coach Kobe Bryant and Keyshawn Johnson on how to do press conferences as rookies? No, I haven't. I've, I've seen a few of them, the, yeah, they're they're they've had a few really good ones over the years, but I've not. I'll look that up right now. Actually, after I'm done, that'll be it. Yeah, <laughs> the reason why I ask is because uh, Stuart Scott sits him down at a table, and Keyshawn Johnson is a rookie on the Jets. He was drafted, I think, first overall, and Kobe Bryant obviously is was touted as a very good prospect, and he was kind of trying to coach them into having some fire under their bums and to be really mm-hmm. confrontational and. And say, oh, don't don't say to him before the game, good luck, Mr. Jordan. Say, I'm going to take you to school and get him really right, intense. Yeah, yeah. So when you talk about um, these moments of being like a Michael or a Kobe, it, uh, it's interesting because even though people would look at sports journalism and think, well, people are very studious and like being nose deep in books and reading and, and sipping tea and, you know, and they're very focused. Sometimes there are those people that are really intense and then there's other people that are more laissez-faire and to each their own, I guess there's no right or wrong way to do it. But if you have a lot of passion and fire, then you got to appreciate that because like you were saying that AJ was telling you, not a lot of people are going to be like that. And you can't really worry about what other people are doing 
you only can just control what you're doing. And then the cream will rise to the top as that old saying goes. Yeah. And the reality is that like in these fields, you need like, like you work hard to get to these points in your career. Like there's, there's um, what nine of us that have my job at TSN right now. Um, and, and like all of us worked our butts off to get to this point. All of us probably um, had times where we were buying, buying groceries from the dollar store, or we were making very, very little money and sleeping on a couch or in a, my case, an apartment that, that, you know, was, had cockroaches in one, but like you, like we all have those stories. I don't think all, like, it's fair that people have to go through that to get to where they want to go, but it is a reality. And, and you, you, um, I think you need a little bit of that fire and, um, these jobs are so tough to attain and they're tough to, to keep as well, because you know that, um, it's a competitive world and you're, you're just trying to be better and, uh, you have stability, but you know that it's, it's a, it's a job that everyone wants pretty much. And you're, you're, you know, so it's, it's that fire. I think that like, it's important to have, and it's just about managing it and, and understanding when to use it and when it's getting unhealthy for you and just making sure you're not, you're not using it too much, but like getting these jobs is, is not easy at all. And it takes a lot of work and, and some good fortune with timing, but it is, it is really tough. And I think, um, I think you, you just have to, you need that fire. And I think it's good in most cases, but you have to turn that switch off. And I think, you know, it's, it's something that, that we all struggle with like work-life balance and, you know, when to not be too hard on yourself and when to, when to, um, how to approach certain situations. But that fire, I think is, is a big key to most people that get things that, that are unattainable or, or highly unattainable. Entering the industry, did you ever have an idea of a dream job or dream position? Not really. I think, um, I think I initially figured that I'd work as a writer or a newspaper person. And, uh, then at partway through, I, I was orienting myself for a career behind the scenes as a producer and pursuing more roles of that nature, uh, producer slash writer. And then, uh, this opportunity came up and I got told that they wanted to interview me for the job and I'd never, I had, I didn't have TV on my radar at that point. I just, it was just not something that I was purposefully orienting myself towards, but TSN made it pretty clear. They wanted me to at least interview for the job and it went really well. And, and then, um, they, they have a really strong history of training newspaper, like people like me to, to be on camera. So that wasn't an issue for them. My lack of TV experience, but I didn't really have a dream job. No, it was just, I figured I would be more a producer slash writer, like work in television behind the scenes and for a newspaper like the New York times or like an ESPN, but life had different plans and you get opportunities at, at different times. And I like what I do now where it's a nice mix of radio TV and, and writing and TSN has a nice group of 
very experienced people that help you out in all of those things. So, but no, I, I mean, it, it definitely came as a, uh, I wasn't marching towards the type of job I have now. I was definitely working really hard, but, but orienting my career in a little bit different of a direction. I see you got a lot of books on the shelf there. Do you read often? Yeah, I try to try to a few times uh, a week. Um, what do we got here? I've got Rick Westhead, Finding Murph. Um, uh, there are a few pretty good ones here. I think I've read most of them. Phil Jackson, Eleven Rings. That's that's a good one. Um, this one is actually really important to me, The Mindful Athletes. It's by Michael Jordan's uh, meditation teacher. And uh, I think I read that. I saw that Jujar Kara, the NHL player, had read it and he recommended it. So that's been really important. Um, Never Split the Difference is about negotiation. And that's uh, a good concept to have regardless of what you do. And Intangibles, which is about team chemistry. It focuses on baseball, but that's, uh, that's a really fascinating book. And again, anyone in any walk of life learning how to communicate or being a better teammate, that is an exceptional book. Uh, what else? The power of now is good. Like they're all, I've read them all. Ego is the enemy. Uh, they're, they're all great. So I'll probably have nothing going on really this evening. So I'll, I'll probably open one of them and yeah, it's about, again, margins and just trying to do a little every day and build that up. And these books are a big part of that. Has reading always been a big part of the habits that you have daily? Uh, not as much as now. I think now, um, I like reading, I, but now I make more of a purposeful effort to do it. I always loved reading sports books as a kid, but like more of the businessy sports books, like like Moneyball I got when I was a kid. And um, yeah, like it was, I always read stuff as a kid, but uh, now it's more purposeful and you try to learn something more make more of an effort to learn something from the books, but yeah, it's important in getting different perspectives on how to approach things or learning new information or things that you can incorporate in your daily life. Yeah. That's, that's something that that is important and that I try to do as consistently as I can. Solemn, we're getting towards the end of our time on today's episode. So I want to ask a few wrap up questions to have a little bit more fun before we go. Yeah, for sure. Favorite NHL player growing up. Sorry, could you repeat that? I didn't hear you. Oh. Who is your favorite NHL player growing up? Uh, I don't really know if I had one. Like maybe Jerome McGinley because, you know, again, he looks a little bit like me, power of representation. I remember realizing that as a kid. Wow, that's pretty cool. Um, I, I, I had a superstition for a long time with the number five, and last lap Schmid had that number in Edmonton. Uh so yeah, I'd say those two, like Paul Korea too. I remember thinking as a kid, he looks a little bit different than all the other guys. So Korea, Iginla, and Laszlov Schmid. What's your favorite movie? Good question. Probably Blood Diamond. It's got an incredible, uh, Leo DiCaprio's amazing in it. There's a nice little romance with the journalist. Uh, and it's, it's about a really important topic. And just the acting in that movie is, is phenomenal. If you were to travel to any place in the world outside of Canada tomorrow, where would you go and why? Uh, probably Uganda and Kenya, visit the family roots and where my parents and grandparents grew up and uh, see where how that's evolved since they were last there. So uh, 
that would certainly that's on the bucket list and uh it would be a nice family heritage moment so uganda and kenya what's been your favorite story that you've been able to tell so far with tsn um good question there's been a lot uh the marty saint louis one how he was found and that was really cool to do uh I really like the one I wrote about Milan Lucic as the Masterton nomination nominee of uh, last season. That was, that was a lot of fun. Probably Shillington going to Africa with Johnny Oduya. That was a lot of fun to put together. Uh, so I'd say those three stand out. Most memorable game that you watched either on TV or live as a sports fan. As a, oh, as a sports fan, it's been a, it's been a long time since I've been to a game live as a fan. Um, I mean, probably Cassani overtime winner. You just you never forget your feeling as a kid when you see that go in. Everyone thought that Edmonton was going to be eliminated. You know, power play for Carolina in overtime in an elimination game, and Cassani steals the puck and picks the corner there. Uh, and I love Bob Cole's call on that too. So I would say Cassani. Who is your favorite sports broadcaster as a kid? Did I have one? Um, as a kid, I really liked Harry Neal's voice. Uh, just just the cadence of it. Uh, as a kid, broadcaster. Um, I don't know. I just I remember re- really liking the way Harry Neal sounded as a kid. Uh, and... Um, yeah, I remember like even rewatching old Howard Corsell tapes or uh, YouTube clips because just of the way they they brought gravitas to the moment, but but didn't overdo it. And my final question for you is: If you had a chance to visit any place in Canada that you haven't been yet, where would you go and why? Uh, I'd be intrigued by the. By, by none of it um that'd be a really fascinating place i i think it's it, it'd be really really uh, uh interesting to to understand the inuit culture and go there and and see what their life is like on a daily basis and understand understand things from their perspective as well as see the the countryside and and northern lights and and understand just understand a really really different area of Canada and learn from people and, and, and try to try to, you know, just, just get educated and become a more well-rounded Canadian citizen. So I'd say none of it. Solomon, that's all the time we have for today. So I want to thank you for joining today's episode because it was so great to talk to you about your journey to TSN, the experiences you've been through. And I really enjoyed hearing about how you've come to, development's the role that you currently have and all the lessons that you've learned so far and will continue to learn as your career goes on. Thanks a lot, Matthias. Great show. Fun to chat with you. Good luck. You've got an exciting time ahead of you and uh, enjoy it. It's a, uh, it's a really, really uh, fun period of life. I'm sure that you'll make the most of it and we might be colleagues before too long. So you never know. Take care. And thank you to the listener for enjoying today's episode with Calgary Bureau reporter for TSN, Solomon Valji. First and goal from the one. This is it. Stiegel. Touchdown. Matt Stiegel. Touchdown, Regal. 138. And he's the all-time 
Thanks for listening to today's episode of Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Check out our social media pages for more at huddleup underscore mb. For full audio, head over to Spotify and Apple Podcasts. For full video, head over to YouTube at Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Tune in next week for another great episode. See you next time.